We're uh, continuing our series this morning on the Ten Commandments, uh, a series that we're calling The Ten Words. So if you wouldn't mind, let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word. A reading? Is this on? Okay. A reading from Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come to you and ask that you would be at work right now in this place, in our hearts, And that we would come to know you as you've revealed yourself, whether that's for the first time ever in our lives or if that's for the millionth time. So, Lord, we pray that you would do whatever is necessary in order that we might see you and experience you and taste your goodness and your kindness and your justice and your truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've uh, been in this series on the Ten Words, which is uh, one of the ways that we refer to the Ten Commandments. And uh, I, I want to do a little review to go back to week one um, to, to kind of orient us uh, to this series. Uh, if you remember, when we began this series, we began with this question of what is God's will for my life? And we said the interesting thing about the Bible is that when you ask the question, what is God's will, God doesn't whisper his secret plans to you. He directs you to his commands. And that's what we have in the Ten Commandments, is a summary of God's commands. And these commandments actually express God's will for his people. They're meant to form and shape his people for a distinctive way of life. A life that involves loving him and loving our neighbor as ourself, as Jesus summarized. And these ten words are at the core of the covenant that God made with Israel and by extension with us. They're actually the seedbed out of which all the other laws and commands grow. But we noted right at the outset that the ten words actually don't begin with a commandment. They begin with a declaration. And it is God saying to a group of people who are now ex-slaves. I am the Lord your God. I am Yahweh your God. And I'm the one who rescued you out of Egypt. I took you out of the house of slavery. And so right from the outset, we understand that God's commands are intended to secure our freedom, not destroy it. Because living God's way actually puts us in harmony with God's purposes in the world. Now, this morning, we come to what some have referred to as the forgotten commandment. It's because whenever someone is asked to recite the Ten Commandments, they're like, no other gods, don't make idols, and what's the third one? I can't remember what it is. Do you know what it is? We just read it. You weren't paying attention if you can't answer that question. And uh, Iron Abley summarized for us last week that the, the first commandment is is forbidding the worship of false gods. But the second commandment is forbidding worshiping the true God in false ways. But when we come to the third, our instinct is to see this as sort of 
odd and maybe inconsequential. We're like, how did this one get in here? This is one of the 10 that God gave us. Yeah, and don't take my name in vain. And by the way, if you do, I'm going to hold you guilty. And what we normally think is this is about cussing. Or don't use God's name as an exclamation mark. And we think, easy peasy. Won't do that. I'll avoid it. Uh, But kind of bored by this one. Except that doesn't really get it what this commandment is about at all. And that's what I want to spend this morning talking about. Because in many ways, this commandment helps you understand all the other commandments and how they relate to your life. And I want to begin with this observation. The name of God is actually a much bigger deal than you think. You know, the Old Testament is filled with references to the name. God's people are called by his name. Jerusalem is the city that bears God's name. The temple is the place in which God's name is said to dwell. And the Psalms are filled with references to praising God's name or lifting up his name. Unless you think this is just an Old Testament thing, the New Testament keeps at it. Right Right at the outset of Jesus' ministry, a prayer that we pray almost every Sunday here at Grace. When he's teaching his disciples to pray... One of the things he tells them to pray is, hallowed be your name. That means make your name special and honored. May it be a name that's above every other name. Make it that way in Silicon Valley. And Jesus, after he's raised from the dead and is exalted by the Father, he's given the name that is above every name. And we're told that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. That's Philippians 2. As we heard in our liturgy a little earlier in the service, we are saved through calling on the name of the Lord. And by the way, when you call on the name of the Lord and are baptized, you are baptized into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And the way this cashes out in a Christian's life, we are told by the Apostle Paul, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The name is a shorthand for God's character and for his presence. Which is why so many have drawn the connection. How we treat God's name is how we treat God. Because his name represents his character. In fact, there's this long tradition in Judaism of not speaking God's name. Out of reverence. But rather saying Hashem. Which is Hebrew for The name. It signals a reverence and an awe for who he is. Now, I want you to think with me a little bit about how we use names. Right? We use names to identify. That's why uh, many of you uh, get name tags when you come here to Grace in the morning. You're like, this is my name. And you want people to know your name so they know who you are. And they can begin to build memories around uh, their interaction with you as a person. Uh, We use first name basis as a way of signaling, oh, I'm a step beyond casual acquaintance. I've actually been invited into a relationship with this person. We have uh, a phrase called, just mention my name. I remember years ago before we had children, when my wife and I actually went places together uh, by ourselves, that uh, somebody paid for us to go to this conference, they paid for a hotel, and... 
I was kind of confused. Like, wait, like, so how does this work? And he was like, oh, just go to the front and just mention my name. And I did. And the red carpet was rolled out. And it was glorious, right? That's his, the name. It gave me access. It gave me privilege. And then, of course, maybe my favorite reference to this comes from the musical Hamilton. The way we use name to signify the glory or the worth or the honor of an individual. You know, the opening song, what's your name, man? Alexander Hamilton, right? You've seen it, okay? My name is Alexander Hamilton, and there's a million things I haven't done, but just you wait. And what's the little refrain that goes on in the background the whole time? The world's going to know your name. All of this and more is wrapped up in God's naming himself, revealing his name to us. He's ID'd himself, which means he can be known. He wants to be known. We don't honor him by using abstract language like universal ground of being, okay? Like it sounds very reverential, but actually it's just vague. God says, I am Yahweh. I'm IDing myself before you so you can know me. He invites us in to a relationship with, with, with him through giving us his name. Belonging to him, having access to him has enormous privileges, And we have God's blessing over us because we know him by name and he knows us by name. And the world needs to know his name. That's part of the task given to God's people. That we might be agents of revealing who he is to the world. This is a big deal. God's name deserves to be honored because God deserves all honor and praise. But the question is, how, how do we do that? And that's where we get into the meaning of this command. And I want to ask the question, what exactly does this command mean? And I don't think we've done a great job understanding it or explaining it, at least not according to the context in which we find it in the book of Exodus. Because the common interpretations go something like this. And by one person's count, there's 23 different readings of this verse. And you're like, great. Don't cuss using God's name. That's the one we like to tell our children. And maybe it involves washing their mouth out with soap if you lived in 1960s or if you're still living a 1960s kind of life, right? Don't use God's name flippantly, right? Or as filler. Don't treat it like a magical incantation. Don't swear falsely in his name. Each of these things has something to say for it. But none really gets at the core of the command. None really gets at the heart of it. Because this command isn't simply about how we speak God's name. It's about how we live our entire lives. And this is what I mean. The word that's translated take in the ESV, that's the translation we're using here. The word that's translated take God's name is actually the Hebrew word for Lift up or carry or bear. It's actually the the easiest Hebrew word to remember. It's the word NASA. N-A-S-A, like NASA, lift up. Okay, you got it? Lift up God's name. Lift up God's name. Carry it. Bear it. To bear God's name is to be identified as one who belongs to him. You are one of his representatives. And this command is saying, do not misrepresent him. 
Now look, let me give you a few reasons how we know that this is the way that we are to understand this. A little later in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 28. One of those passages that in your Bible reading you probably skip over because it's instructions for how the high priest is to dress when he enters the tabernacle. The high priest was to wear this apron, we'll call it, nephod. And on this apron, over his chest, were 12 precious stones. And each of those stones was engraved with the name of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And we get these tender words in chapter 28, verse 29. Same book. And it says, whenever he enters the presence of Yahweh in the tabernacle, he will bear the names of the sons of Israel on his heart. The priest is acting as a representative for the people of Israel. And the same words that are used in the third commandment are used here. He will bear, nasa, lift up, the names, Shem, of the people of Israel. So this is the logic. When the priest represents the people before God, he is said to bear their names. So when the people of God bear the name of Yahweh, what does that mean? It means we are representing him to the world. That's a little later in the book of Exodus. If you rewind the tape and look just right before these words in Exodus 20, this is Exodus 19 verses 4 through 6, God tells the people that if they obey his voice, he will make them, all of them, a kingdom of priests. They're going to represent him before the nations. And then, of course, over and over again in the history of Israel... There would be a blessing pronounced over the people by the priests as they go out into the world. One of the most famous examples of it is Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. All that business. But we often don't know what the next verse says. It says that by blessing them this way, he's putting the name on the Israelites. To bear God's name is to be identified as one who belongs to him. And therefore to be one of his authorized representatives in the world. To claim to to belong to God is to bear his name. There is nothing specifically about speech in this command. How we say God's name. Although by implication, there's a lot to take account of. And if I could put it in a very simple way, the ninth commandment, which says do not bear false witness, is about protecting the name and reputation of your neighbor. But the third commandment is about protecting the name and reputation of God. The third commandment is not about cuss words, at least not first and foremost. It is a call to bear Yahweh's name among the nations to represent him well. Now, why is this so important to understand? Or maybe another way of asking that is, why is this one of the ten? And if you just think about this for a few seconds, it'll all come together. If God made us to live with him at the center of our lives, that's the first commandment, and to love and worship him, 
as he truly is, not as we imagine him to be. That's the second commandment. And if we who claim to belong to him bear his name in the world, then to live in such a way as to misrepresent him is a very, very serious thing. When the Israelites behaved like the nations surrounding them, they soiled God's reputation among the nations. In fact, you could read about this later in the prophets in Ezekiel 36. The, the Israelites have been sent into exile, and they're still Israelites behaving badly. And the people of the nations are saying, These are the people of Yahweh? And God says, You have desecrated my name. And what that means is this You have lied about me with your life. And now we're getting to the heart of what the third commandment is trying to guard against. Because there are many ways to lie about God with our lives. We can use God's name for evil ends. In fact, the history of the Christian church, sadly, is filled with examples of this. God's name has been used to justify certain wars. God's name has been used to justify the transatlantic slave trade. God's name has been used to support apartheid in South Africa. And more recently, God's name is, is, has been used to cover up sexual abuse in the church. And people are saying, we, we don't need to be distracted by this. We need to focus on mission. So much of the history and the scandal of the Christian church lies here in a violation of this command. Exploiting God's name for evil purposes. But it's, but it's not just that. You might be able to distance yourself Uh, From those things. But another way in which we break this command is by not caring about what God cares about. In Isaiah chapter 1, verses 12 through 17, God rails against the vain offerings that Israel is bringing because their hands are full of blood. What does he mean by that? He says, You have failed to, quote, bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. That's not caring about what God cares about. And God says, that is taking my name in vain. Or how about this? Legalism is another big fat lie about God. In Matthew 15, Jesus rails against the burdens of man-made rules and regulations being placed on the backs of people by the scribes and the Pharisees. And he actually quotes Isaiah, another passage in Isaiah says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Another example is phony spirituality. Over and over again, Jesus puts the spotlight on Israel's lip service, using holy words but leading hollow lives. And one of the most famous examples is in Matthew 6, When he talks about when you pray, when you fast. And boy, if that doesn't doesn't get at something that goes on in evangelical spirituality, I don't know what does. We make a show of religion. That we're trying to win pious points before people. By acting holy instead of being holy. And yes, of course, invoking God as a witness in false statements... Or using God's name to cover over lies is breaking the third commandment. 
Which, by the way, I think this should make us very careful in playing the God card when we're trying to gain legitimacy for something we want to do. You know how it goes. You're like, God's been leading me to do this, or God's been saying I need to... And, and you should be very careful that you're not confusing your plans and agendas with God's holy purposes. But the bottom line is, this command is a strike against hypocrisy. Not living up to the name that has been placed on us. Not honoring the name of the one to whom we belong through our lives. You know, when I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I know some of you here aren't, aren't yet Christians and you're exploring the Christian faith. And that was my story. But I, I became a Christian in high school when I was a very young Christian. Um, I had a friend of me in high school. You know what a friend of me is, right? It's, uh, it's a friend, but they're actually an enemy. You know, we're, we were very tight. We played the same position on the football team. People are always trying to get us at each other. We liked the same girls, right? He was much better looking than I was, more athletic, but I could beat him in boxing. And uh, we, we were just at each other's throats all the time, but we were always together, sat together at the lunch table. We were in the same uh, group at practices. And uh, when I became a Christian, I began to try to bear witness to my friend Adam, right? Until one day he was ragging on me about something and kind of calling me a goody two-shoes. And I blurted out something I had done recently to prove that I wasn't a goody two-shoes. And he looked across the table at me in front of everyone. He said, you're a hypocrite then. And he was totally right. And I felt such shame and disgrace that in this competition with this guy, right, I had betrayed the one who had loved me and saved me. That I cared more about my reputation and cachet with him than I did about God's. It's a formative moment for me as a young man. And by the way, attacking hypocrisy or exposing corruption, this isn't an invention of secularism. This didn't start with the Enlightenment. This goes all the way back to Jesus and to Moses. And there's a long history of it in the Christian tradition. Exposing hypocritical religion is part of Christianity's own heritage. It's built into the fabric of the faith itself because it's a commitment to honest dealings with oneself before God. To bear God's name is to recognize that your behavior and actions reflect on the God you claim to belong to. And that's heavy. It's meant to be. And it's quite literally mission critical for the people of God. You and I are called to represent Him if we claim to belong to Him in our work, in our family, in our friendships, in our neighborhoods, at the office, in your running clubs, at your ping pong tournaments, and yes, even online gaming. It includes how you treat your Uber driver, hotel management, servers at a restaurant, business partners, colleagues, and everywhere and everyone else. It involves the entirety of your life. And the command is do not dishonor him with your words and your behavior. And God takes this very seriously. Now, here's the question. We don't do this well. I don't do this well. So how do we change? 
And if you remember at the beginning of this series, we talked about how the law functions in our lives. God's commands expose us, right? They protect us, and they also show us what a changed life would look like. But the thing that God's commands do not have the power to do is actually change us. So how do we change? And this is the thing, when you, when you read the Old Testament, the people of Israel failed miserably again and again and again. And they proved over and over and over to be their own worst enemy. Tendency to self-sabotage. Yet God all along the way provide pathways of restoration and forgiveness. That's what all this business about the tabernacle and the priests and the sacrificial system that you read about in Leviticus. And the prophets are, are always calling Israel back to honoring the one whose name they bear. Always going back to verse 1 of the 10 words. He is the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Who rescued you from the house of slavery. But friends, if, if you belong to Jesus, we actually have something better to go back to. Because God hasn't just revealed his name to us. He has showed up with a face. He has put on flesh. And he has lived and died and been raised for the forgiveness of sins. We come to this table every single Sunday. And you know what we hear? We hear words of forgiveness. Of Jesus saying, this is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. This is my body broken for you. This is the covenant renewed because you couldn't keep it. And I have kept it for you. Friends, the only way that we will not bear God's name in vain is if we build our life on the love of God in Christ. Because that is the thing that begins to change us, the people who represent him well in the world. You know, we live in a cultural moment where there's a lot of anxiety and nervousness around questions of identity. And the answer for a Christian should go back to the gospel of Jesus Christ, first and foremost above anything and everything else. And people are also angsty and nervous about questions about purpose and significance. Vocation and calling in the world. Mission. And for a Christian, it should always go back first and foremost to what it means to be God's people. To be Jesus' people. And the call to be salt and light in the world. Because he sends us out not to make a name for ourselves but to honor the name of the one to whom we belong. Friends, if you're considering becoming a Christian, putting your faith in Jesus Christ, calling on the name of the Lord, that is ratified through a baptism, which is a naming ritual, where the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit is placed on you. And that is God saying, I am your God. I have rescued you from slavery to sin and death. 
And I want you to walk in my ways. And I want you to be my people in the world. If you've grown up in the Christian church, if you've been walking with Jesus for most of your life, every single Sunday that you come to this church, you are sent out with a benediction. A benediction means a good word pronounced over you. That the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. Or the love of God and the grace of Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Why? It's a calling. It's a mission to go out into the world, not to make a name for yourself, but to honor the name of the one who called you and saved you. Friends, the third commandment is in many ways how we understand obedience to all the rest. That this is the way that people will see that Jesus actually makes a difference. Is when his people begin to live up to the family name. But the reality is you and I don't in so many ways. And so again and again we have to return to the table, to the good news, to let God do his work in our heart. To begin to pull out the idols, begin to clean up all the mess that's inside of us. But we must remember that part of the purpose of that is not just so we can feel good. It is so we can be a part of doing good in the world. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Do not bear it in a worthless way. And the question that you and I have to ask ourselves is, do we take this with the kind of seriousness with which it, it, it has. Do we bear it with the weight that it deserves? You know, I, I've been a Christian now for, I don't know, 30-something years, I guess. And this has never gotten old to me. And I think the reason why is because I continually feel my brokenness and my need for more of that grace that God gave me On the day that he saved me. And I continue to see the need around me. And you see it too. It's not just in our lives. It's in the lives of everyone. uh, That we rub shoulders with. uh, That people are hurting. uh, That people are self-sabotaging. That people are uh, guilty. Ashamed. Lonely. And God has said you are. You're my people to go and share good news with the world. You bear my name. Bear it with the weight that it deserves. And when you feel like you can't, or you feel like you haven't, or you feel like you won't ever, come here, taste my grace, renew your heart in my love, and let me fill you up so that you can go and pour yourself out. Let's pray together. Father God, This indeed is a weighty thing that we can call you, Father. You've revealed yourself to us and that Jesus, you have showed up with a human name and a face and a body that was broken for us and blood that was poured out for us. And you have sent your spirit to dwell in our hearts that we literally carry your name with us out into the world. God, would you help us? Would you change us from the inside out? Would you make us new? Would you energize us? Would you give us endurance? Would you give us patience? Would you give us love? Would you give us kindness? Would you give us gentleness? 
Would you shape us in all the ways that we need to be shaped that we might be used for your purposes in the world? Because, Lord, we desperately need it for ourselves, and we know the world desperately needs it. So be with us, help us, change us, make us new, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.